Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. When 25-year-old Karen Strom is found beaten and strangled in her suburban home. There was a female lying between the bed right here and the wall. The community of Woods Cross, Utah is stunned beyond belief. This is the first homicide Woods Cross ever had. But an obvious suspect soon emerges. Oh my God, he finally did it. He killed her. Or did he? This is an intriguing story. We had to fit all the pieces of the puzzle together. And this puzzle will take nearly 30 years to solve. I had probable cause to arrest him, and he could either come in voluntarily or his face would be on the 5 o'clock news. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Woods Cross, Utah sits nestled among the Wasatch National Forest and Mountain Range with a stunning view of the Great Salt Lake. It is a quiet community, people who are hardworking, with a mix of homes and some industrial and commercial. Just nine miles north of Salt Lake City, this bedroom community has always prided itself on being one of the last bastions of America still untouched by violent crime. People walk the streets without even a thought of danger or fear. And they don't like don't lock doors. It was a safe town. The same might be said for the North Salt Lake area in general, where Coco and Karen Saltzgiver began their lives. Karen and I grew up in Bountiful, Utah. It's a hop and a skip away from Woods Cross. Life can get lonely for a child raised a Catholic in a predominantly Mormon region. 
but Coco always had her big sister, Karen. Karen was five years older than me. She was my everything. You know, that one person that you know, no matter what happens in this world, she'll make it better. Suffice it to say, Coco is Karen's biggest fan. Karen was, she was very popular. Karen, she's very pretty. She had a great personality. She was funny. She was very kind, almost to a fault. The two are inseparable until Karen meets Steve Strom in high school. Karen was 17, I believe, and I was 12 when Steve and Karen started dating. Steve was a quiet person, didn't say much, basically introverted until he drank and got that liquid courage. He would get angry, he was very jealous. I liked Steve at first, but after I saw how he treated my sister and that I didn't care for Steve Strom, but she, she, she loved him. Despite Coco's reservations, Karen and Steve get hitched after her high school graduation in the summer of 73. I was surprised that she decided to marry Steve. I just thought, well, maybe he'll change now that they're getting married. They put down stakes in a middle-class home in Woods Cross, and each earns an honest wage. Karen works for the state, and Steve is a machinist working the graveyard shift at a local aeronautics plant. They're living what some might call the American dream until fate steps in on June 6, 1980, just a few days after their seven-year wedding anniversary. Former homicide detective Clarence Montgomery spends these days patrolling a new beat. I retired from the police department in 2005 and uh, was hired on after that by the school district to be the uh, attendance tracker at Woods Cross High School, basically the old truant officer. But in 1980, he was a 10-year veteran with the Woods Cross Police Department when he responded to a disturbing 911 call. This is the first homicide we Woods Cross ever had. So it was uh, kind of an, something new for us. I think we were fairly prepared for uh, small agencies to uh, be able to deal with it. When I got to scene, the room had been sealed off and the house had been sealed off and uh, the paramedics had been there already and determined that uh, the victim was uh, dead. The 911 caller, Steve Strom, is outside. When I first saw Steve, he appeared to be genuinely upset and uh, panicked at what had happened and what had happened to his wife. According to Steve, the last time he saw Karen was the night before. One of our other officers interviewed him and reported to me that uh, he and Karen had had a, an enjoyable evening together and that when he left for work, everything was fine. But everything was not fine when he finished his shift the next morning. When he got home, he said he was sure he had locked the doors before he left, and the doors were still locked when he arrived home. He uh, didn't see anything disturbed at all when he went into the house. It wasn't until he walked into the bedroom that he saw his wife uh, laying on the floor. There was blood on her neck, and she had blood on her body. He determined that she was dead, and that's when he called 911. In 
Investigators continue to interview Steve as Detective Montgomery takes a look inside. As I entered the bedroom, I observed a the victim, a young female, lying here on the floor. Her head was up against the bed. There was obvious damage to her neck, uh, blood around her neck area. The bed was disarrayed. There was a TV which had been knocked off of the stand laying on the floor. It was still going. There were several rungs in the bed which had been damaged and broken, which uh, indicated there had been some type of scuffle. Karen Strom fought for her life. There was blood around her neck that was so violent that the tissue was damaged and uh, possibly from fingernails and so forth that uh, her neck had bled and there was some blood scratches and abrasions on her neck. And the lack of physical evidence is evidence in itself. There was no uh, fingerprints found anywhere in the house that didn't belong to either the wife or the husband. So we couldn't find any evidence of uh, there being another intruder. There's no forced entry, no sign of robbery, nothing. Word of Karen's murder travels through town like a brush fire. I was at work at the phone company, and my stepmother called me and says, Coco, let me have Tony come pick you up. And that's my brother. And I said, I can't just leave work, why? And then she told me, and I just sat there in shock going, I just talked to her. She can't, you know, she can't be gone. I just talked to her. Coco and her family make their way to the Strom residence. This, this isn't real. This isn't happening. When they brought her body out in that bag, I went, oh, my God, that's my sister in there. You know, and I wanted to say, just don't put her in there. You know, don't put her in there. It was so surreal. Steve was sitting on the curb with his hands his head in his hands, and I'm just thinking, oh my God, he finally did it. He killed her. And as Woods Cross investigators will soon learn, it's a prevailing sentiment. Steve did it because she was leaving him. She had filed for divorce and she was leaving him. And I think Steve, he just freaked out. Outside, Steve is cooperative and admits that life with Karen wasn't picture perfect. They had been separated for approximately three months, and that was the first uh, time that day that they had gotten back together. According to Steve, the two had a lovely dinner the previous night and then returned home before Steve left for work at 12.15 a.m. And uh, he felt that things were working out really good for them, and uh, he expected her to be there when he came back the next morning that the couple's relationship was on the mend is news to Coco. Karen had met a gentleman down the street from them. He treated her like a queen, and she deserved to be treated that way. And I think she realized how she could be treated as opposed to how she was treated, and that gave her the courage to leave. But she was terrified. Investigators hope the autopsy will fill in the missing pieces to the puzzle. Karen had been uh, strangled to death. She had put up a fight. There was marks on her body and bruises and scratches around her neck. She had been strangled violently. There was no indication that she had had any sexual activity. But there was severe bruising on Karen's thighs and genital area. 
the medical examiner places the time of death somewhere between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. Steve claims to have left for work at 12.15 a.m., so he could have been at the house when the murder occurred. Try as he might, Detective Montgomery can no longer ignore the inconsistencies in Steve's story. Steve became a suspect in the fact that uh, they had been separated from uh, each other for about three months. Steve had a very uh, bad temper. He was a very jealous individual, and that he gave a statement that everything was fine between them, but things were not good between them. She was afraid what Steve would do if she left him. But she filed for divorce anyway because she couldn't do it anymore. But investigators know it's not always the one you first suspect. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The community of Woods Cross, Utah, was named after a wealthy settler 
nicknamed Daniel Woods in 1855. There was a couple of springs here which made it very profitable for farming. The settlement has grown a lot since then. And although the folks here have done their best to maintain a less complicated way of life, the modern world has edged its way in. And with it, the town's first homicide. Woods Cross is not thought of as a community with a high crime rate or a significant crime problem. So when news of the brutal slaying of Karen Strom breaks in 1980, the folks here can't help but be a little skittish. The people in the community were pretty disturbed at the time that uh, the homicide occurred because they had never experienced a violent crime of this nature. And the worst part about the whole thing is that many think they may have seen it coming. I believed if Karen didn't get out of that marriage, it was just a matter of time before something horrific happened to her. Rumors of domestic abuse run rampant among the couple's family and friends. Coco saw the alleged wounds firsthand. She got good at hiding the bruises and everything, you know, makeup. But I could always look at her and I say, are you all right? And she would turn her head away from me. Yeah, I'm fine. And I said, he did it again, didn't he? No, I'm fine. She wouldn't look at me. After nearly seven years of marriage, Karen had had enough. Karen gave him options about his drinking and said, you know, you've got to quit. I can't do it anymore. I knew she wanted to go to therapy at times for it, and, and Steve wouldn't do it. He told her he'd quit and everything, but he never did. Just shortly before the uh, homicide occurred, um, she had contacted her attorney and asked him to speed up the divorce proceedings. But according to Steve, he and Karen were working things out. That's why she was at the couple's home the night she was murdered. Alas, the details are sketchy on all accounts, and investigators decide to take a step back and re-examine all the facts before moving forward. They start at square one. The person who committed the crime was either known to one of them or that she had let him in because there's no indication of forced entry. And any number of people might fit the bill. She would not let a stranger in, and that there was a couple of Steve's co-workers and friends that she might let into the house, and the boyfriend, she might have let him into the house. There are three sides to every love triangle. Could jealousy have gotten the better of Karen's boyfriend, Tyler Schneck? He was pretty shook up, and uh, in the interview with him, we felt that he was being very honest with us uh, as far as his whereabouts that night and his feelings towards it. Schneck tells investigators that he and Karen were planning to marry. It was him who wanted Karen to go back and see Steve again because he said he wanted her to be sure that this was what she wanted to do, that she wanted to continue through the divorce. After hours of questioning and an airtight alibi, Tyler is off the list. He had more motive for her to be alive than to be uh, dead, and that uh, from what we could determine, he was at his residence uh, that, that the entire evening. He was just a very compassionate, caring man. He was very kind, very gentle, completely something Karen wasn't used to, but craved. Next on the list is one of Steve's co-workers, 
Ed Owens. Investigators visit the plant where the two worked. Stephen mentioned the fact that Ed was not there when he got to work. That's when we talked with the supervisor and looked at the log sheets. Ed had signed out for his dinner at about 8 o'clock that evening and uh, did not actually return back to work. Not exactly employee of the year behavior, but Ed does provide a solid alibi. Ed Owens, he said that he was a bar which was located near where they work. He had gone there for uh, his lunch and uh, started drinking, him and some of his friends, and uh, they remained there until the bar was closed at 2 o'clock. Ed's drinking buddies back him up. If time of death was between 11 and 1, Ed's in the clear. That eliminated him as a suspect. Although there was some scratches and marks on uh, Ed at the time, which made us a little concerned, but he worked on a metal lathe and the metal filings, uh, the supervisor said, yes, they do get cuts on their hands and, and arms sometimes from metal filings. And if that isn't enough to exonerate Ed Owens. We could find no indication that there was a relationship between uh, Karen and him. We could find no reason for uh, Ed uh, wanting to come to the house and to kill her. Over the next two months, Several other people on investigators' list are questioned and eliminated, but they cover their bases just in case. We tried to uh, make sure that we preserved as much evidence as we could. All the people that Karen might have let into the house, we did collect DNA evidence from each of them. We took blood samples, hair samples, uh, fingernail clippings, and uh, so forth. It's not long before all roads lead back to Steve Strom. His motive was jealousy. He was a very jealous person. She, if she was, in truth, leaving him, uh, she had told people at work that day that uh, she was going to inform Steve that night that she was going to go on through with the divorce. And the forensic evidence, or lack thereof, doesn't lie. We couldn't find anything to determine anyone else other than the husband and the wife had been in the house. But Steve continues to maintain his innocence and offers to take a polygraph to prove it. Steve was not truthful at all in the questions that was being asked him. The botched lie detector is the final straw. We uh, collected all the evidence we had at the time and presented it to the county attorney. He reviewed it all and decided we had sufficient evidence for a warrant of arrest for Steve, and he issued a warrant of arrest. On August 12, 1980, two months after Karen Strom was strangled to death, Steve Strom is arrested for her murder. A friend called me up to turn and said, turn the TV on. They just, they found Steve. They just arrested him. And the family was relieved. You know, but then it, we also dreaded the fact now we got to go to a trial. But Coco's relief turns to despair when a shocking move by the prosecution changes everything. There's good news and bad news in Woods Cross, Utah. The good news is that the fine citizens here can finally sleep peacefully at night, knowing that an arrest has been made in the Karen Strom murder case. The bad news is that the killer isn't some outlander, hell-bent on wreaking havoc in this quiet enclave, but it appears to be one of its very own, Karen's husband, Steve Strom. Karen's sister, Coco, couldn't be more relieved. 
I was happy that they had enough evidence and everything on Steve to get him. Investigators prepare themselves for the trial ahead. Statements that she had made to her friends, bruises that she had shown her friends. A lot of those kind of things Al added up, but a lot of it was circumstantial evidence. A little too circumstantial for the judge's taste. He balks and Steve Strom is set free, citing lack of evidence. The county attorney felt that it had weakened their case to the point where he felt it was better that we uh, drop the charges. It was unbelievable. How, how could it be all circumstantial evidence? But they dismissed it, and you find a way in yourself to just think, okay, now how do I live with this? In the meantime, Woods Cross police continue to chase leads. But the case has grown colder than a pastrami burger at a vegetarian barbecue. Investigators from the Woods Cross Police Department carefully pack up everything relating to the crime, including crime scene photos, suspect blood samples, and clothing and fingernail clippings from Karen herself. You want to preserve the evidence of the chain of command. You want to make sure that you have uh, exactly who had possession or control of that evidence at all times. With no ties to bind him to Woods Cross, Steve Strom eventually moves out of the area for good. But for Detective Montgomery, out of sight is not out of mind. I always felt that Steve was uh, involved in the death of his wife. Never did feel that he was any otherwise. 25 years pass, and Detective Clarence Montgomery retires in 2005. <laughs> but Coco can never retire from the heartbreak. The journey of my sister's death it was the worst day of my life. It was a nightmare. I was so lost, so lost. And I'd learned to live with Karen's death with a hole in my heart that I know till the day I die will always be there. When Woods Cross Detective Sergeant Brad Benson isn't rustling up the bad guys, he's busting Broncos on his Farmington ranch. I've been around horses all my life. Right now, uh, I have uh, four ponies. My, my grandkids ride them, and uh, once in a while, we'll put them in the parades. Call it a form of equine therapy. There's a lot of stress in uh, law enforcement uh, on the job, and uh, working with the horses is one of the ways that I am able to uh, deal with it. Luckily, June of 2006 is a stress-free month for the Woods Cross PD. I was getting a little bit slow uh, with my cases, uh, so I had a little extra time to work on other cases that had been uh, considered cold. So I pulled uh, the Strom case out and began looking at it. Benson was a reserve officer for the department in 1980. The detectives back then would always converse with the officers and tell him what was going on with the case. So I've always had an interest in it. That same summer, Coco just happens to contact the Woods Cross Police Station for the first time in 26 years. He said, do you want to hear something funny? He says, I pulled her case out six months ago and started looking at her case again. And I just sat there staring at him like, really? I, I, it was hard to believe because it had been so long. And I says, oh my God, it's time. Over the next few weeks, Detective Sergeant Benson 
carefully sifts through all the materials in the Karen Strom case files. There were uh, police reports, uh, evidence reports, photographs, numerous records of uh, items of evidence that was seized at the time of the homicide. There was uh, all sorts of uh, blood samples, uh, saliva samples, hair samples. Samples from the victim and the many suspects. Benson is hoping the samples contain DNA because DNA has come a long way since 1980. The only thing that could be done with uh, DNA, uh, blood specifically back in 1980, is blood typing. Uh, There was no DNA. Benson sends all of the samples to a private DNA lab for analysis. The process will take some time, and investigators still don't know whether they have anything usable. We believe that if there, were, if there was any DNA, that was going to be that of Steve Strom. In the meantime, Benson rounds up all the original witnesses and suspects. The majority are cooperative and agree to make their way back to Utah to firm up their statements, including Steve Strom himself. Steve Strom's reaction when I told him that I was reopening the case was that we would be coming after him again. Steve would be correct on that assumption. I believe that Steve Strom was the killer. Steve uh, had a reputation of drinking and uh, being an abusive husband. But police also want to talk with Ed Owens, Steve's co-worker from way back when. The files indicated that Ed and Steve were friends. They were co-workers. They worked on the same machine. And Steve actually relieved Ed on the machine when Steve went into work. Benson locates Ed Owens in Northern Virginia. I asked Ed if he would be willing to come back to Utah so that I could firm up the statement that he gave to investigators back in 1980. He stated that uh, he would be able to come back uh, the following week. Benson can't help thinking that things are falling into place quite nicely. That is until the following week arrives. Ed had disappeared from home. He left a note for his uh, wife. It was more or less a goodbye letter. We determined that he had taken a cab to the airport and uh, flew from there to San Antonio, Texas, and then uh, that he had taken a bus over into uh, Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. What would possess an innocent man to flee in the middle of the night? Woods Cross Police intend to find out. The Salt Lake City area is known as the crossroads of the West. Never in the history of the region has the name been so fitting. When in the winter of 2007, local investigators find themselves at a crossroads of their own in the 27-year-old murder investigation of Karen Strong. This case truly was a whodunit case, and so we had to fit all the pieces of the puzzle together. There was a lot of information to go through and sort out. All work and no play makes Troy Rawlings a dull but highly effective prosecuting attorney. So I'm usually to work sometime between 5 and 6 in the morning, Uh, I need to do that by necessity because once the day starts, it gets hectic. 
I usually try to get out of here between 5.30 and 6 at night. Sometimes that's not possible and it runs, uh, you know, well later into the night. Rawlings has a few late nights ahead, once the Karen Strom homicide file tops his case docket in 2007. Up until that point in time, even the family of Karen Strom had thought that it was Steve Strom. Our office, though, began to focus that the evidence pointed in the direction of Ed Owens. And Owens, a mere person of interest some 20 years ago, is pointed in the direction of Mexico. Detective Brad Benson had made efforts to contact Ed Owens, and when Detective Benson did, Ed Owens' first reaction was to take off and run. It soon becomes clear why, when the DNA results come back from the forensics lab. Not only is there identifiable DNA from Karen's remains, but there's also a match to her probable killer. By far, the number one DNA profile underneath Karen Strom's fingernails was Ed Owens. Karen's sister Coco never even considered that it might be anyone other than Steve Strom. I was so confused. Who is this guy? You know, and why did Karen have his DNA under her fingernails? I mean, who is this guy? That's what the cops want to know. I was surprised that Ed's DNA came back because I was unable to determine what motive he he would have for killing Karen. The DNA under Karen's fingernails turns out to be a combination of Owen's skin and seminal fluid, indicating that motive might be attempted sexual assault. As far as anyone can tell, Karen and Ed only knew each other in passing. Karen and Ed had met on enough occasions that there was familiarity with each other. We know that they actually had gone on an outing together. Uh, it was Ed and Steve and both of their wives. Karen and Ed had been together one time when Steve had got drunk and uh, they had to uh, work together to get him in the house. In light of the latest development, investigators re-examine all the witness testimony from the 1980s investigation. There were uh, several co-workers that had seen Ed Owens the next day following Karen's death and uh, had observed uh, scratches on his face, uh, arms, and hands. Thank goodness the early investigators had the forethought to take photographs of Ed's injuries. We believe that Karen Strom had uh, inflicted those injuries to his face and arms and hands, and that's what we used for our probable cause to arrest Ed Owens. But the last Benson heard, Ed was in Juarez, Mexico, just across the El Paso, Texas border. It's going to take some time to track him down. In the meantime, Benson revisits Ed's alibi. The night of the uh, Strom homicide, uh, Ed had left work at approximately 8 p.m. to go to a uh, bar. He went with several co-workers, which at the time had given Ed an alibi. However, when I recontacted all of these individuals, they knew that it was a possibility that he could have slipped out. But the final nail in Ed's coffin is a very seedy past. We were aware of other prior uh, instances where Ed Owens had, had been in violation of the law, instances that involved women and violence, and an instance where, even though he had been acquitted by a jury in California in 1973, the victim was still adamant that Ed Owens was the person that sexually assaulted her, choked her, and stabbed her. 
sound familiar? Where there's smoke, there's fire. And it's time to douse this one before it spreads. KUTV news reporter Brian Malahi knows a ratings grabber when he hears one. This is an intriguing story with many different subplots. You have the murder itself. You have the fact that there was attention directed at her husband. You have the case going cold for nearly three decades. The list goes on and on. And Malahi promises to keep his loyal viewers updated as the story progresses. Curiosity was the prevailing climate, I think, when the case was reopened. It was something that I think people looked forward to with a sense of expectation. But with Ed Owens seemingly on the run, the citizens of North Salt Lake must stay tuned for any further developments. Eight days after Ed Owens disappears, Detective Sergeant Benson has a development of his own. He manages to reach Ed in Mexico. My conversation with Ed Owens on the phone was that I had probable cause to arrest him and he could either come in voluntarily or his face would be on the five o'clock news. Owens turns himself in a few days later. Ed declined to give a statement. He wouldn't talk at all. He lawyered up on me. Investigators will see him in court. The trial is set for January of 2008, and the prosecution begins to hear rumblings from Ed's defense team. This DNA um, does not prove that there were, he was involved in a, a violent murder. Ed Owens' attorney argued that they were having an affair and that this was a consensual sexual encounter, and that's why Ed Owens' seminal fluid was underneath the right-hand fingernails of Karen Strom. It's a shocking revelation that Rawlings can't presently refute. I filed a motion on December 21st of 2007, dismissing the case. I felt like somebody socked me in the stomach. It was sickening to go through all that pain. And I just said, God, please, no. This didn't happen. It just couldn't. I'm sorry that they've had to go through this also. I'm sorry it wasn't me, you know. Investigators in Woods Cross, Utah, have to do some major regrouping when the murder case of Karen Strom is dismissed for a second time with a second suspect, Ed Owens. He was suddenly a free man. And I said, what do you have to say to the family? Well, I'm sorry for them. And I'm sorry it wasn't me. Did I believe him? I don't know. I knew he was lying. And I says, you know what? I'll be damned if I'm going to give up. I have not come this far to give up. Coco reaches out to county attorney Troy Rawlings, but he's already on it. The game plan was to get the questions answered that we had from our experts that had been raised by the defense and then refile against Ed Owens and convict him of killing Karen Strom. The first line of business is to see if there's any legitimacy to Ed's affair allegation. All of the physical evidence at the crime scene, the blood of Karen Strom that was at the crime scene, the injuries to Karen Strom's face and body, the gouges to her neck, the injuries on Ed Owens, all of them showed that the defense argument that this was a consensual sexual encounter was bunk. But how to prove it? 
the prosecution team circles the wagons. One of the steps we took was to go back and relook at every piece of evidence that we had. Let's go through it piece by piece and see if there's anything else, see if there's any additional evidence, anything else we can come up with. It's a long and meticulous journey, which will require some late hours away from the family. But soon, Rawlings' efforts pay off. Craig Webb and I had noticed in some photographs some little spots on Karen Strom's panties that she was wearing when she was killed. Those spots look suspiciously like blood. The panties are sent to the state crime lab for testing. The process takes eight months. In July of 2008, investigators learn the blood on Karen's underwear matches that of Ed Owens. What that piece of evidence did for us was, again, to help us to establish this was a struggle, that it was consistent with all the other physical injuries that Ed Owens had. The prosecution rests and refiles the case against Ed Owens. You know, I thought, don't get excited yet, Coco. Don't do it to yourself, you know? And I thought, just be grateful they found it. Go on and just see what happens. But inside, I was just, oh, thank you, thank you. In the matter of State of Utah versus Edward Lewis Owens, we, the jury, do hereby find the defendant, Edward Lewis Owens, guilty. After a week-long trial, Ed Owens is found guilty of first-degree murder. I believe justice was served, and I think, my God, even after 29 years, a person still, no matter what they do in their life, will have to pay for it. That was powerful to me. But perhaps the most thankful for the conviction is Steve Strong, Karen's beleaguered husband. Steve uh, became very emotional and uh, talked about uh, the cloud of suspicion that he had been under for the last 30 years and uh, how it had affected his life. So it was, uh, to a certain extent, it was, it was hard for Steve. I had to go through processing all of the stuff that I thought for so many years about Steve and thinking, wow, you know, Steve didn't kill Karen. Steve was just an abusive man to her. But as Steve and everyone else will soon learn, this case is far from over. The Utah sentencing guidelines for murder in 1980 were five years to life. Simply put, Ed Owens could serve as little as five years for his crime. We have to use the option for sentencing under the law that was available back in 1980 at the time of the murder, not what sentencing options are available to us now. It's all going to come down to the judge at sentencing to decide if Ed will ever be a free man. So what we're going to do at sentencing is simply remind the judge of the overwhelming nature of the evidence that we had against Ed Owens. The other thing we wanted to do to prepare for sentencing, though, was Coco Saltzgiver had struck up a friendship with Ed Owens' 1973 victim in California. And she wanted to have this victim explain to the judge what Ed Owens did to her back in 1973 and how it was similar to what happened to Karen. It's a calculated approach. If this woman comes and gives her information, that then becomes part of the official record of this case. And the Board of Pardons and Parole then will be able to consider that when they're looking at the possibility of someday releasing him. But the defense has an approach of its own. We go to another courtroom and what the defense simply tells Judge Morris is, Judge, there's no reason for this woman to speak because basically Ed's gonna make a confession today. 
he's going to confess that he killed Karen Strom and that he did it as a murder-for-hire scenario. And the person who he claims contracted him was none other than Steve Strom. On several different occasions, Mr. Strom had asked me to kill his wife. In return, Steve would give Ed half of the insurance money that he would get from an insurance policy he had on Karen. But Ed had a sudden attack of conscience. As it turned out, there was an argument between her and I, and I ended up strangling her and killing her. He decided he wasn't going to kill her. He was going to warn her, and that she started slapping him around when he was telling her, hey, Steve wants you dead, he wants to kill you. And so while she's slapping him around, he reaches out and grabs her by the neck in order to stop her. And the next thing he knew, she just slipped between his fingers on the floor dead. The murder, it seems, was an accident. It was one of the saddest, happiest times of my life because he confessed to doing it himself out of his own mouth. I believe it was a bogus story what he said, but he confessed to killing her. The judge postpones the sentencing hearing until things can be sorted out. I mean, here Ed is telling us, I killed this woman, but Steve Strom put me up to it. It's a dubious tale, but one that needs to be checked out nonetheless. We reopened an investigation into Steve Strom, and we looked at the possibility that this was a murder-for-hire scenario, even though we didn't believe it. And the subsequent investigation revealed the same thing as our initial uh, trial preparation did, that Ed killed her because it was a sexually motivated attack, not because Steve Strom put him up to it. The prosecution discounts the story and sees it for what it is, a desperate ploy by a desperate man. Ed Owens didn't want the judge to know that he was a perverse attacker who sexually assaults and kills women. Ed Owens is sentenced to five years to life. His first parole hearing is scheduled for 2032. He'll be 82 years old and will likely never see the light of day again. Based on the evidence, investigators are able to piece together how the murder took place. On the evening of June 5th of 1980, when Ed Owens left work around 8 o'clock or so, he had actually gone to a bar for a while with co-workers. Instead of going back to work on his shift, Ed Owens went and ended up murdering Karen Strom. Investigators believe that Karen unwittingly left the door unlocked, and Ed let himself in. Ed Owens attacked Karen Strom. She would not give in to his advances. Ed Owens was trying to sexually assault her, and she fought him, and she gouged him, and she scratched him, and he murdered her. And Karen was the prosecution's star witness. Way to go, Karen. Thank you for scratching the crap out of him, because you got your killer. But Troy Rawlings isn't quite ready to put this one to bed just yet. Ed Owens' DNA profile has recently been put on a national database where it will be compared and cross-checked to see if there is, is evidence of other assaultive behavior that Ed Owens has, has engaged in. It's not going to surprise me if there are other unsolved cases out there, both reported and unreported, where Ed Owens is the perpetrator. The sleepy Woods Cross suburb is restful once again. We've grown considerably since 1980, and uh, it's a a little more fast-paced, but uh, we're still uh, a very nice, small community. There's a saying in the Salt Lake suburbs, into each life, a little rain must fall. But for Coco, 
She need only to look for the rainbow. I know she's with me all the time. She helped me get through breast cancer. She helps me get through everything, and I, the piece is, I feel now asking her for that help because before I didn't feel like it because I didn't feel like I helped her. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.